Thank you. All right. Well, if you have a Bible, would you turn with me to 1 Samuel chapter 17? And if you're using one of our red Story Church Bibles, it is on page 137. 1 Samuel chapter 17. Uh, We're continuing our study in the life of David. And I mentioned last week when we started that one of the legacies of David is that he wrote well over 70 of the Psalms that we have in our Bible. And uh, the Psalms teach us about life and how to worship and worshiping in various contexts and circumstances. And one of David's Psalms that he wrote is Psalm 18. And Psalm 18 says this, The Lord is my rock and my fortress, my deliverer, my God, my rock in whom I take refuge. David wrote this because David was a soldier, and he fought in battles, and he took on enemies, and he knew above all that the Lord was his rock and refuge. So David teaches us how to take on battles and enemies and and hardships in life with the trust in God. And perhaps the most famous of David's battles is what we're going to look at today, the the battle between David and Goliath. And we're going to learn from looking at David and Goliath, what does it mean to trust in the Lord in the midst of battles? And uh, none of us this morning are facing a military battle, but we all face obstacles and barriers in the way between who we are and what we're facing now and the life of abundant joy that the Lord has for us. And so how do we engage with those hardships or troubles that we're facing? That's what we're going to look at today. And um, you'll see the three points printed in the bulletin. They're less, uh, less of an outline and more of hooks to sort of hang your thoughts on as I walk through the passage. Um, you'll see the first one is titled Fight or Flight. The second one is standing firm, and the third is finding a champion of our own. So that's where I'm headed this morning, if you want to follow along by taking notes. Well, let's read 1 Samuel 17. We're going to look at the first 11 verses and then jump ahead to verse 32. Yeah. It's on page 137. First Samuel chapter 17, 1 through 11. Now the Philistines gathered their armies for battle, and they were gathered at Soko, which belongs to Judah, and encamped between Soko and Azekah in Ephes Damim. And Saul and the men of Israel were gathered and encamped in the valley of Elah, <clears throat> and they drew up in line of battle against the Philistines. The Philistines stood on the mountain to one side, and Israel stood on the mountain on the other side with the valley in between them. And there came out from the camp of the Philistines a champion named Goliath of Gath, whose height was six cubits and a span. He had a helmet of bronze on his head, and he was armed with a coat of mail, and the weight of that coat was 5,000 shekels of bronze." And he had bronze armor on his legs and a javelin of bronze slung between his shoulders. The shaft of this spear was like a weaver's beam, and his spear's head weighed 600 shekels of iron. His shield bearer went before him. He stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, Why have you come out to draw up for battle? Am I not a Philistine, and you are you not the servants of Saul? Choose a man for yourselves. And let him come down to me. 
If he is able to fight with me and kill me, then we will be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall be our servants and serve us. And the Philistines said, I defy the ranks of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. When Saul and all of Israel heard these words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. Now we're going to jump ahead to verse 32. David now has come onto the scene and he has heard what Goliath has said and he responds, verse 32. And David said to Saul, let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight with the Philistine. And Saul said to David, you are not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him for you are but a youth and he has been a man of war from his youth. But David said to Saul, your servant used to keep sheep for his father. And when there came a lion or a bear, he took a lamb and took a lamb from the flock. I went after him and struck him and delivered it out of his mouth. And if he rose against me, I caught him by his beard and struck him and killed him. Your servant has struck down both lions and bears. And this uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them, for he has defied the armies of the living God. And David said, The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of the Philistine. And Saul said to David, Go, the Lord be with you. Then Saul clothed David with his armor. He put a helmet of bronze on his head and clothed him with a coat of mail. And David strapped his sword over his armor and he tried in vain to go, for he had not tested them. Then David said to Saul, I cannot go with these for I have not tested them. So David put them off. Then he took his staff in his hand and chose five smooth stones from the brook and put them in his shepherd's pouch. His sling was in his hand and he approached the Philistine. And the Philistine moved forward and came near to David with his shield bearer in front of him. And when the Philistine looked and saw David, he disdained him for he was but a youth, ruddy and handsome in appearance. The Philistine said to David, am I a dog that you come out to me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. The Philistine said to David, Come to me, and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and to the beasts of the field. Then David said to the Philistine, You come to me with a sword and a spear and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you down and cut off your head, and I will give the dead bodies of the hosts to the Philistines this day to the birds of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel, and that all this assembly may know that the Lord saves, not with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hand. When the Philistine arose and came and drew near to meet David, David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet the Philistine. And David put his hand in his bag and took out a stone and slung it, and it struck the Philistine on his forehead. The stone sank into his forehead, and he fell on his face to the ground. So David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and with a stone and struck the Philistine and killed him. There was no sword in the hand of David. Then David ran and stood over the Philistine and took his sword drew it out of its sheath and killed him and cut off his head with it. When the Philistines saw that their champion was dead, they fled. 
Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word and for this story. We pray now that we would see through this story what it is that you have for us, this truth, Lord, of your grace and mercy. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. It's a long story. It's a famous story. So let's take it sort of piece at a time and learn from it because there's a lot here to learn. Last week, um, we saw that David was anointed, anointed and set apart by God to be the next king. Uh, But we pick up in chapter 17, and um, although David is anointed to be king, he's not king yet. Saul is still king, and he's leading the people out into battle. He's fighting against the Philistines. And the Philistines are sort of this perennial enemy of God's people. We see the Philistines and Israel go to battle time and time again. So Saul is leading the people of God, the army of Israel, into battle. And they're waging uh, this war. And in this particular battle, the Philistines have brought with them a champion named Goliath. Now, this word champion that describes Goliath, in this context of battle, it it means a man who stands between man who stands between the two armies. And what the Philistines are doing is they're doing this kind of representative warfare where they've got their champion who comes out and says, hey, I'm going to fight on behalf of my people. You select someone from your ranks and we will fight. And if I win, then your people will be ours. But if your guy wins, well, then we will be your servants. It's this representative warfare. That's what it means to be a champion. And I say, if your guy wins, laughably, because uh, the author sort of goes out of his way to show that Goliath really thinks that the victory's already won. It's almost written for us to to think that the decision has already been decided. Goliath comes out with such great power and strength that even to question his abilities is laughable. Look at the way that his armor is described. First of all, he's over nine feet tall. His uh, spear that he holds is over 15 pounds. And the armor that he's got is well over 120 pounds. This is the sort of top of the line military gear. This guy is powerful and strong. And when he steps out and calls out to Israel, we see in verse 11 how Saul responds. When Saul and all of Israel heard these words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. So this battle is drawn up. Saul on one side leading the people of God and Goliath on the other, terrifying the people of God. These two people, Saul and Goliath, in this story, it shows us two opposing approaches to battle fight or flight. Whether they be military battles or hardships that we are facing, we tend to approach these struggles with either flight or fight tendency. Look at Saul. Saul is embodying the flight, the one who runs away. He's supposed to be the champion of God's people. He's the anointed king. He's supposed to lead them, but he runs away. And Goliath, he comes out with his armor. He embodies fight, going head in with strength 
and power, fight or flight. Let's look at how Saul embodies flight. He runs away from the problem. This is what we see happening uh, today in our obstacles when, when things get rough or when things get troublesome, we cower away. We become passive. We don't fight it. We run away. Think of like if uh, in a marriage, if there's like rocky ground or tension between the spouses, we can flight. We can run away from it. Rather than engaging with our spouse, we let that divide grow and grow. We run away. We run towards something or someone else. Often, affairs don't happen suddenly. They happen because there's something between the spouses, and one of them runs away, running into the comfort or the excitement or the thrill of someone else. That's what it looks like to run away from our problems. Um, for instance, like, you know, think through whenever you encounter something that's really stressful, maybe it's a, a, a job uh, or a relational issue or something that brings stress, what do you turn to to relieve yourself from that stress? That's our way of running away from the problem. Rather than face the problem, we numb ourselves from the problem. Maybe it is alcohol or a substance issue. We try to get away from the problem. We mask the problem. We take away the edge. That's how we get through anxiety. That's how we help ourselves fall asleep at night. We look, we look to something else. We run away from our problems. That's what Saul is doing. He's running away. How does that work out? When we run away from our problems, does that actually fix anything? No, it, it just changes into a worse problem. It changes into something far worse than it was before. Running away from our problems never actually helps the situation. And, and it, it, when Christians run away from our problems, it's a lot worse. Not only do we run away from the problem and get into another mess, when Christians run away from the problem, it actually affects the way that the world sees our faith. When, when the world sees us run away from our problems, the world sees us say, God can't fix this problem. I have to run away from it. When Saul cowers away from Goliath in fear, it not only brought shame upon him and the army of Israel, it actually brought shame upon the God of Israel. Goliath says today, I defy the God of Israel. When we run away, people look at us and say, the God of Israel must not be very great at all if his own people run away from their problems. Christians, what does it say about our God when our neighbor looks and sees us cower and run away? It says to the world, I don't believe that God can do this. I don't believe that God can fix this. That's what it means to flight, to run away. Let's look at Goliath. What does it mean to fight our problems? And is his approach actually better, coming with power and strength? Goliath's approach is, is fighting, biting the bullet, diving headfirst into the situation. 
And if you look at the way that Goliath even talks about the battle, it's as if the battle is already won in his mind. He laughs and says, why have you come up to battle against me? In my mind, this battle is already won. It's already decided. From his perspective, he is the victor. And you can find traces of this mentality in many popular self-help approaches today. It's this idea that in order to engage the problems in front of you, you have to reckon yourselves as already having accomplished the task. You have to consider yourself already victorious if you want to see victory. It's this way of approaching problems that says that the most important thing is bolstering up self-esteem your own perception of yourself, because that is where the battle is really won or lost, how you view yourself. If you think of yourself as victorious, you've already won. But if you think of yourself as weak, you've already lost. To fight your problems head on like Goliath is to say to yourself, I can do it. I can face this challenge. I call this the uh, Moana mantra. You guys have all seen the movie Moana. Well, this Disney movie, it's about this princess who's facing a problem. And and at first, the problem is that her people on the island, uh, they don't have food or water. The island is decaying. But that's not really the problem. Because another problem that she faces is her dad, the king, says, Moana, you can't go. You have to stay here and care for your people. You can't go into the waters. You can't go across the sea. And so Moana faces this other problem of, do I disobey my dad or not? But even that isn't the thrust of the problem for Moana. For Moana, her deepest problem is, who am I? Like, do I have the power to actually lead my people? I mean, the main theme of the song is, I am Moana. It's this existential crisis. Do I have the power to overcome these problems? And the whole movie teaches her, yes, you do. Listen to these lines from the song that her grandma sings to her. You are your father's daughter, stubbornness and pride. Mind what he says, but remember, you may hear a voice inside. And if that voice starts to whisper to follow the farthest star, Moana, that voice inside is who you are. In other words, she is being told, Moana, you can do it. You can do anything. Don't listen to the voices around you telling you you can't. Listen to yourself. Listen to the voice within you that says you can doesn't matter what circumstances you're facing. The real battle is within. You are Moana. You can do it. But here lies the problem with this kind of thinking. It requires you to abandon reality. It requires you to ignore the circumstances around you. It requires you to believe that something might not actually be true. You might say to yourself, you can but sometimes you can't, so it doesn't work. Like, how does this approach work when you hear from the doctor that you have a life-changing or life-ending issue going on in your body? 
You can't say, I can get over this, and because I think I can, I will. That's not how the world works. You cannot face your problems with a projection of power that in the end is no power at all. When Christians do this, it undermines the fundamentals of the gospel. The gospel says that we are utterly powerless to save ourselves. It says that we are sinful creatures with disordered passions and desires. It says that we are broken and we do not function the way that we are originally designed. It says that we are weak and unable to do the things that God commands of us. It means that we're limited in our nature where by default we have to look outside of ourselves. The gospel of Jesus says you can't do it. But Jesus can and has done it for you. So admit your weakness, admit your brokenness, admit your sin. Don't trust in yourself, trust in the power of another. When Christians face our problems with the Moana mantra, we dive headfirst in and say, I can do it. But when we do that, we diminish the gospel and we prove to our neighbors that we don't actually believe what we say we believe. Saul ran away and said, God can't do it. Goliath stands up and fights and says, I can do it. Let's look at David. David gives us a third way to approach our battles. He doesn't say, God can't do it. He doesn't say, I can do it. What does David say? Well, we skipped a little bit of the verses, but David comes onto the scene. He's bringing food for his brothers, and while he's talking with his brothers, he hears Goliath's challenge. He sees Goliath, and he sees his brothers scared. And he says, what is going on? David sees something that no one else in the battle sees. David sees that this war is fundamentally a spiritual battle. That fundamentally, this is not a battle between flesh and blood, but at its essence, it is a battle between God, the God of Israel, and whatever gods the Philistines believed in. Goliath has come and he has defied the God of Israel. David says, how dare he? I will stand up and defend God's honor and God's glory. Saul cowered in fear because he didn't believe that God could do it. David stands firm and says, God can. I believe God can win this battle. This is the difference between Saul and David. Saul didn't believe in the power of God, but David did. David says, God can win. Is this the way that you view God in the face of your battles? Do you believe that God can fix your marriage when there's rocky parts? Do you believe that God can fix your sin patterns and break you from your addictions? Do you believe that God can heal you and bring peace to your body? Yes, maybe on this side of eternity, but absolutely in the life to come. This is David's conviction. I believe that God can win this battle. This is faith. This is faith. God can do what we can't. 
But more importantly, David's faith is not just that God can do it. It's, I believe God can do it no matter the circumstances. When David goes to King Saul and says, let me fight, King Saul looks at the circumstances and says, David, who do you think you are? You are but a little boy. And Goliath has been a soldier since he was a boy. Who do you think you are? The circumstances are against you. But David says, I have fought. I have seen battles. I used to keep sheep. And when I was out in the field, there would be lions and bears that would come and take those sheep. And then I would go and fight. I, I, I would destroy them. I would save my sheep. And it wasn't me. It was the Lord delivering me. No matter the circumstances, David believed that the Lord would deliver him. That's what he says in verse 37. David said, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear, he will deliver me from the hand of the Philistine. David's faith not only believed God can, but it said God can no matter what, no matter the circumstances. David's faith was rooted in who God was and what God has done. It wasn't rooted in the circumstances wasn't even rooted in his own ability. This is the kind of faith that we're called to have, a faith that is anchored in the truth regardless of the presenting circumstances. Like, I'm, I'm glad that I paused myself and read the assurance of, assurance of forgiveness from Romans 8. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. This is an objective truth. That isn't true whether you feel it or not. That isn't true whether you've been a good Christian or a bad Christian. That is just true, not because of you, but because of Jesus. There is no condemnation for you. So when you're feeling guilty because you sin, and let's be honest, we sin all the time. Guilt is a common feeling for Christians. When you feel guilty, how do you fight that battle? Do you fight that battle by saying, try to feel better? Do you fight that battle by trying to change your circumstances? Or do you respond to your guilt with the truth of who God is and what God has done? And so I say to myself, Jeremy, do not feel guilty. There is no condemnation towards you because of Jesus. Your sins are forgiven. Do you say that to yourself? That's what David is expressing, a faith in something sure and true outside of himself, outside of his circumstances. I, I, I think of this as like uh, people often on, the, on their mirrors will like put a post-it note, a little note to self that reminds them to do something or reminds them of something. Um, think of it like that. Use scripture and the truth of who God is as a note to yourself. Remind yourself of what is true despite the circumstances. That is how David stood firm in front of Goliath. He had faith, not faith in himself, faith in God, 
who had demonstrated to him deliverance. The Lord has delivered me, so I'm sure he will deliver me. David is a man of faith, faith rooted not in himself, but in his Lord. But is that the point of this passage? Be like David. Take on the battles with faith. Have more faith like David. Too often, this story, this famous story, is told like that. Look at the courage of David who had faith in the Lord, and when you demonstrate faith like his, you can take on whatever the world throws at you. Isn't that how we read most of the Bible? Isn't that how we approach the stories in Scripture? Look at Abraham. He had faith in the Lord. And despite his age, despite that his wife Sarah was barren, they believed and they were given a child. Be like Abraham. Have faith like Abraham. The Lord can work miracles for you too. Look at Moses. He had a speech impediment. He was shy talking in front of people. How was he going to be able to lead the people of God? But God said, I'll be with you. I'll give you words to say. Believe in me and I'll give you what you need to lead. Be like Moses who believed in the Lord and trusted. When he opened his mouth, the Lord provided the words to say. Be like Moses. Look at Ruth, who lost everything, her husband, her sons, her home, her security, everything. But she trusted in the Lord, who provided Naomi a friend, a sister, a support. Be like Ruth. Have faith that the Lord can do unexpected things. Is that how we're supposed to read the Bible? Look at these people who had faith and be like them? Is that how we're supposed to look at David? Look at this situation. It looks awful. Maybe it's kind of like your situation. But do you see how David trusted in the Lord and everything worked out for him? Be like David. Everything will work out for you too. That's how often this passage is preached. That's how often we look at this story. Is that how you read the Bible? that the point of every story is primarily about what we are supposed to do. You're facing a situation, a crisis, a problem, and so you say, what does the Bible have to say about this? What does God want me to do in this situation? Look, I'm not saying that the Bible doesn't have these words of advice or wisdom or commands. It absolutely does, but what I'm trying to say is that is not the primary way we should go to the Bible. Tim Keller, uh, pastor and author, puts it this way. There are two fundamental ways to read the Bible. Either it is basically about you and me, or it is basically about Jesus. Either it is about what you and I must do, or it is about what has been done by God. Do you see the difference in these two approaches? On the one hand, if we think that the Bible is primarily about you and me, we read the story of David and Goliath, and we say that the point is that we must muster up faith and courage and face our fears. 
Even though I am weak, God is on my side. But what happens if we think of it that way? If we are like David, we throw a stone at the problem. What if we miss? What if we miss all five? What if we can't stop the giant? Well, then we fail. And then shame and guilt and fear get piled on us again and again. That is what happens when we look at the story of David and say, this is about me. But if we look at the story of David and we think this isn't about me, this is about Jesus, then we can read it this way. We are not David in this story. We are the Israelite army. We are too weak to take on the enemy. And so we turn to a champion who will fight in our place. He who steps out to face the ultimate enemy. Isn't that exactly what Jesus has done for us? Jesus steps into the arena. He takes on flesh and humanity. He faces off against our ultimate enemy, the power of sin, the devil, and death itself. But not only does he fight against them and win, he does so as our champion, our representative. If he wins, the whole army wins too. The point of David and Goliath is not that we should have more faith in order to fight our battles, but the point is that we have a champion of our own, Jesus, who has entered the battle and defeated our greatest enemy, and we receive the victory through him by grace. Because our champion, Jesus, has faced our ultimate enemy, we can take on any battle that comes our way. But until we see that Jesus has fought that ultimate battle for us, until we see that Jesus is our champion, we will never have the courage to take on whatever comes our way. Be it suffering or disappointment or failure, criticism, David teaches us to take on, sorry, David teaches us to take on our own battles, not by telling us to have more faith, but by showing us who the champion is in whom we ought to place our faith. Here's how this works. When you fail, when you mess up at work, when you say something wrong to your spouse, when you make a, a, a moment of unfaithfulness and a moment of foolishness, maybe you have found yourself in financial trouble because of poor decisions. When you fail, what do you do? You can run away from the problem like Saul. You can ignore your own weakness and limitations and sinfulness and fight head first like Goliath. Or you can look to your champion, Jesus, who has secured for you the Father's love. Because he died for you, that love will never be abandoned from you. So that even though you fail, his love for you remains. Even when you sin, he is still yours. His love for you is unconditional. And because that love is yours because of Jesus, because that love for you can never be taken away, you can face failure. 
You are not strong enough to face failure on your own, but Jesus has secured it for you. We all need a champion like David to rescue us from our enemies. We have that in Jesus. So trust in him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you.